Hello, hello! This is Emily, and you're listening to my podcast, Extraordinary. That clip you just heard was from an episode of a YouTube show called The Fab Lab with Crazy Aunt Lindsay. In this episode, I'll be talking with Lindsay, who is the creator and star of the show. She's going to talk about what she sees as the value of accessible STEM education and how to fake it till you make it. She's also a professional science communicator and was recently the live stream host for TEDxPDx. It's honestly hard to keep track of everything that she's involved with, but now I'll let you hear for yourself. Oh my god, checking the levels. Okay. Sometimes I get loud, so okay. if I get loud, just be like, Lynn, okay. Can you just kind of like give us a list of different projects or roles that you've held? Oh, wow. Um, well, I guess, well, it's really funny because uh, as of Monday, I'm like the owner of a media company, That's which is so really weird. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I've been doing this uh, YouTube project um, for the past seven years called The Fab Lab with Crazy Aunt Lindsay. Um, So Crazy Aunt Lindsay is just like a fun character that um, was created to help kids and families walk through the process of learning and discovering things. And The Fab Lab um, is her home her her the place where she like does stuff that's like stem related and she has kids over all the time and just like opens them up to the magic of everyday life through the scientific process um so yeah so that's like pretty much my main thing right now i also have another website that uh is called the handsome black man that i started around the same time to sort of illuminate different um people in the world who are specifically African-American men, not necessarily good looking or sexy or whatever, but just really positive um, people who have their own thing kind of going on. I don't do nearly enough with that one, um, but having a full-time job (laughs) and then consulting and then having this other project, you know, is just, you know, kind of straps you for time. But those are my two main, uh, main things. Um, The media company that I just launched is going to, you know, just sort of be the house for all of that. I've got some kids books that are coming out soon and I'm writing another book unrelated to Crazy Aunt Lindsay and the Handsome Black Man about just like what it means to be a woman and single. <laughs> I can tell you more about that some other time, but uh, yeah. yeah. So just, yeah, writing, writing books, writing blogs, creating kids' science shows. <laughs> so tell us more about the media company. Yeah, so Murph Media produces the Fab Lab of Crazy Aunt Lindsay, um, is the brand holder for Crazy Aunt Lindsay, uh, is also uh, the brand holder for the Fab Lab, which all the books will be sort of spun out of, and then um, Murph Studios that will hopefully um, produce other content that's not necessarily kid um, or me related, um, but just things that I think that are interesting, but that's, that's something that's coming down the line. For now, it'll be still be a side thing? Sort no. Of? No? It's my full-time job. Okay. Mm-hmm. As of now, it's my full-time <laughs> job. Yeah. I mean, it's a full-time job to try and make something full-time. Right. Um, I was working at a... A, a large global advertising agency up until the 28th of February. Okay. Um, and so with their full support, uh, I'm able to use 2017 to try and make this um, a viable and sustainable platform, um, oh. leveraging advertising and growing the audience and stuff. So 
Um, the goal is for this to be like my business forever. I also do quite a lot of consulting. Uh, I am a science communicator. I'm a STEM advocate. Um, I also have uh, an extensive communications background. So uh, I also, in addition to all of that, uh, the way I make my money is by helping scientists to brand themselves, helping uh, technology and science companies articulate uh, what they mean to share with the world um, in ways that make sense to everyday people. And then I, you know, I also like consult with robotics companies oh, and wow. all sorts of things. So I'm, I'm a busy girl. Yeah, I didn't even know that you did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that mostly remote? work, social media stuff, or what does that entail? Yeah, it really depends on the person, um, and it depends on the project. So, like, with this robotics company, um, I'm helping them to decipher... AI advancement, you know, what does this look like? How can it be used in schools? Um, Stuff like that. Uh, What does it mean for the evolution of education? Things like that. And it depends. I mean, the other conversation could be around consumer products, uh, consumer behavior. Um, How is society going to adapt to the reality of artificial intelligence? Stuff like that. So, you know, it's, you know, stuff that I'm still learning how to understand. Um, But, uh, it depends. And then sometimes you have people like, you know, Scientific American that's like, we want an article about this. And then I write an article about that. Oh, um, cool. And then sometimes you have PhD candidates <laughs> in astrophysiology, <laughs> astrophysics, yeah, who, you know, want to become writers who do it far better than I can. And so I help to guide them um, building websites, helping people with their LinkedIn. I mean, as simple as helping people with their LinkedIn account, helping people to articulate what they've done um, so that they're a marketable person, uh, not necessarily personality, but a marketable person who can market their skills and understand them uh, and how they add value to a potential company or uh, whatever. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe we should go back to talking about the YouTube show. Mm -hmm. So you said it started seven years ago? Yeah, the first episode went up, I think, in like September, October of 2010. But Crazy Aunt Lindsay was born and like, she, I mean, she's (laughs) always been around. I was an aunt at like 18 months. (laughs) My first nephew was, yeah. I am an actual member of someone's family yes i am an aunt <laughs> that i have tons of of godchildren and tons mm-hmm. of kids that i refer to as my kids so yeah mm-hmm. so where did the the idea though to make this youtube show where did that come from <laughs> you know if there's no like there's no direct line to anything okay i've always been kind of a public person and public personality. Like Mm -hmm. I've always, I enjoy people. I'm an extreme extrovert. Um, And so at a really young age, you know, my, my quote unquote generation is the first generation to kind of be raised with television. Uh, And so I remember watching TV shows and movies and like wanting to be inside of that box, but not really knowing what it meant and not, really wanting to be an actor like I never wanted to be anybody yeah. else yeah um and but then wanting to be on camera yeah I wanted to be on yeah. camera like I just I love talking to people and I love making them laugh and I love um that stuff like I just love connecting with people 
large and small, you know, large audiences and teeny tiny ones, one-on-one. Yeah. Um, and so that is something that has just been a part of who I am as a person since birth. You know, fast forward to, I don't know, I guess 2008 or nine, uh, I was director of business development at uh, a small to mid-size ad agency in uh, New Jersey. Okay. And that job sort of represented me having made the pinnacle of my career. I always felt like I was a business mind with a creative heart. I ran really hard and fast after what I thought success was supposed to look like. And I got there and I was depressed. Like I just, like I, some days I wouldn't even want to get out of bed. Uh, And at 25, 26, I just knew that that wasn't right. Um, So after about a year or two, uh, I quit that job to go, literally to go wherever the universe would take me. Okay. And I know that the question is, how did this crazy Aunt Lindsay thing come about? And I promise <laughs> I'm answering that question. Um, but, and I was living in a really, uh, really sweet town called, well, Glenridge, but Montclair, New Jersey, okay. where, you know, all of the women who were my friends were like these, you know, 40 year old, previously high powered, you know, media or finance or, you know, whatever executives who now are just like momming really hard. <laughs> like, you know. And so these are my friends. Like yeah. these are the, you know, this was, you know, I was just like this 25, 26 year old you know, girl. They just would kind of take me under their wing because I was like living a life that they remembered, you know, yeah. fondly. Um, and so I quit my job and I was at brunch one day and I was like, yeah, I quit my job. I don't know what I'm going to do next and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, don't worry, we got you. They fired their babysitters and I was their babysitter. So this community of women really took care of me. This community of women were like, you know what? You need time and you need space to figure this out. We're going to help you do that. So I started babysitting and it was something I never saw myself doing ever. And most of these kids would call me Aunt Lindsay anyway, because (laughs) I, I didn't like to be called like, Miss Murphy or Miss Lindsay. It was so formal. Yeah. And, but, you know, these parents were really formal people. And so uh, they were like, well, they have to call you something. They can't just call you Lindsay. And I was <laughs> okay. like, fine, they can call me Aunt Lindsay. If you really want them to call me something, Aunt Lindsay. And so I was just Aunt Lindsay. And I would do things like, you know, when crossing the street to help, <laughs> to help promote you know street crossing safety it's like you know let's look both ways and then walk like a duck and so we walk like a duck across the street and then I would just hear all the time kids saying things like oh Aunt Lindsay you're so crazy you're so crazy Aunt Lindsay you're so crazy and crazy Aunt Lindsay just happened it just became my name um and then fast forward maybe 18 months this is like 2000 2008 and one of the dads was like have you heard of YouTube because YouTube was only like two years old at this point. I think it launched in like 2005 or 2006. And I was like, yeah, I think I've heard of YouTube. Because at that point, it was just like, you know, with these sort of weird fringe nerdy kids would upload videos that weren't that great. Like it it was bad, you know? (laughs) He's like, you know, you should really, you know, you should really think about, you know, taking, you know, putting this on video and putting it up on YouTube. This is, you know, the things that you do with the kids are just so great. Uh, And I was like, oh, you know, okay, whatever. And I didn't think about it. And then a year later... I was sitting in the Outer Banks trying to figure out what my next move was going to be. And the only thing that I could think of was making this kid show. So I did. How do you decide what projects you're going to do? In the beginning, 
I'll tell you a secret. Okay. So in the beginning, <laughs> it wasn't the Fab Lab with Crazy Aunt Lindsay, and it was not a kid science show. It was called Doing Stuff with Crazy Aunt Lindsay. Okay. <laughs> and it was just like a random kid project show. And I would just do like projects that I would just do with my kids when I was babysitting. And in, in the first, I'd say like the first season of Crazy Aunt Lindsay, I'm literally babysitting. <laughs> Like, I am actively taking care of someone's child during, the during it. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, you're busy. You have to multitask. Uh, you got to multitask. Yeah. So they were just projects that I was doing with the kids. Um, okay. You know, let's me. Oh, you guys are hungry. Let's make granola. So this is two tablespoons of butter and three tablespoons of brown sugar. And we have Ellie mixing it up, doing a great job. And then next... What we're gonna do is we're gonna dump in. You know, I had this, one of the first things I ever did as a babysitter was turn the experience of walking home from school into a nature walk. You know, you don't have to go to the woods to be on a nature walk. There are trees and plants and different kinds of rocks all around when you're yeah. just walking the you know half mile from your schoolhouse to your home um so helping kids to identify those things and blah 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 so you know a lot of things that oftentimes especially since it was the fall you would pick up leaves and when you get them home it's like well what do i do with all these leaves well let's mod podge them onto a mason jar and then <laughs> suddenly we have a candle holder yeah. or a <laughs> silverware holder or whatever you know yeah. um so the first season it was just me doing projects that i had made up for the kids and it was probably like halfway into the second season that i realized through the help of the audience that i had a science show that it was a kid's science show mm -hmm. uh before that i just thought it was like a kid project show and that was it you know like just a craft show um and when I realized that it was a STEM show, it was like a light bulb went off. And so from there, I just, I mean, I say all the time, taking, discovering the magic of everyday life through the scientific process. So I look at things like, you know, one of my most popular videos is the butter making episode. What does the process of making butter teach us about science? Um, and just finding things that I do or finding things that I like and seeing how is this scientific? How can it be scientific? And just pulling that out of it and creating a curriculum around it. Have you ever had any of your experiments go like really, really wrong? They all go wrong. Okay. So, <laughs> so yes, they all go horribly wrong because again, like for the first three years, I never practiced any of these projects. <laughs> to me, a part of the magic of Crazy Aunt Lindsay was that Crazy Aunt Lindsay was learning right along with the kids. And the truth is that I get so many comments on videos and emails and tweets from parents and aunts and uncles that are like, thank you so much for this. I had no idea or I couldn't remember or this reminded me of. Most people are not scientists. Yeah. <laughs> Most people aren't mathematicians. Most people are not engineers. Most people are not technologists. So the, these are these, the Fab Lab with Crazy Aunt Lindsay really is focused on and dedicated to not just helping kids to learn science, but resourcing parents to help them have a great time teaching their kid about science. Yeah. I get so many letters of thanks for that. And I think part of the magic of the Fab Lab with Crazy Aunt Lindsay, or at least the magic of Crazy Aunt Lindsay in the Fab Lab, is that I'm discovering things too. I'm not a scientist. Yeah. I was a babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was a babysitter. Um, yeah. And 
the process of like, I can't tell you how many times I've had to teach, you know, a middle schooler or help a middle schooler, you know, with algebra. And I'm like, just so you know, I definitely got a D in algebra when I was in high school. So I'm not sure how I'm supposed to help you with this. You help me help you help yourself. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so um, all the projects would go wrong in some some form or another. Um, there's one, one of my favorite ones is um, the lemon light bulb, the Fab Lab lemon light bulb project, yeah. where, you know, you're supposed to just like put an iron and copper uh, or steel and a copper um, node into the thing and then it like makes the reaction and then yeah. it, the light bulb was supposed to light. <laughs> well, it wasn't quite working yeah. because I didn't have the pattern correct. So uh. it took us like behind the scenes, like it, it was only supposed to be like one or two lemons or one or two grapefruit. We ended up using like seven lemons and like two grapefruits. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Okay. I've ever done this project and we definitely had a hard time getting it working which is why you see all of these uh, lemons and um, uh, grapefruit hooked up but it actually works and it, it I just I'm mesmerized it's awesome it's amazing <laughs> you guys love this project how cool is it yeah. you know so and it just it took like maybe 20 minutes to figure it out yeah. so it was just really funny to be in the background like rigging it up and the kids were like oh you know getting all loopy and being ridiculous but yeah but the magic of editing. <laughs> <laughs> Where does your interest in STEM come from? What do you see that's so valuable about like teaching kids about STEM? I think it's human nature to be interested and curious and ask questions. The thing that makes us unique as human beings from any other species in the animal kingdom is that one, we tell stories, and two, we ask questions. There is no other animal, insect, reptile, you name it, that asks questions. It's human nature and it is the one differentiating factor about us from anything else. I think what happens as you get older is you're discouraged from asking questions. Society oftentimes will kind of beat it out of you. Yeah. Um, and so when I was definitely a kid that asked a lot of questions and I was certainly, you know, told, you know, stop asking questions. Why are you asking? What? But I just never stopped asking. I was just always really curious. And my favorite thing about kids is that they are always curious and yeah. I am just a person who wants kids to know it's okay to ask questions but also help them find the answers one of the best things that my parents my mom ever did was whenever I had a question she would encourage me to go figure it out there wasn't google back then yeah. so if I wanted to figure out something <laughs> you know if I'm mom what does this word mean go get the dictionary Mom, why does X, Y, and Z happen? There's an encyclopedia over there. So, you know, I I was I was a very curious kid, and I really appreciate that I was raised in a family that expected and encouraged me to go and find out answers. Um, so, just on a basic level, I just think that it's important to teach kids how to discover what they're curious about, how to indulge and engage in those things. I think that the learning process is important. And I think that um, we wouldn't be here 
as a society if we didn't have some people who were at least really committed to making <laughs> discoveries and creating things. Yeah. Um, and then when you talk about a larger scale, it's like, you know, moving society forward, like moving culture forward, moving the world forward, moving humanity forward. You know, you need innovation and creation and process and understanding um, and discovery for that. Um, so, you know, and then I can get into, you know, all sorts of other you know reasons why it's important, but it's just, it's, it's just important, especially for kids that are that age, teach kids how to find things out for themselves um, because it's fun. Did you have anything like this when you were younger? Yeah. Did you have? Lots of Miss Frizzle, lots of Bill Nye the Science Guy. Those were the two that (laughs) I grew up with. I mean, apparently there's this guy named Mr. Wizard and like one other guy who I, there's Mr. Wizard or Captain (laughs) Kangaroo. I don't really know. There's like maybe both, but there, there were these, you know. So yeah, I grew up watching educational television. Yeah. Being really interested in it and (laughs) loving it. But, you know, the only thing about Miss Frizzle was that you know, there is no such thing as a real magic school bus. So I couldn't yeah. like miniaturize myself and like walk, you know, go through my dog's anatomy system yeah. if I wanted to. And, you know, Bill Nye, who like is just like, Ugh, I love Bill Nye. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, a lot of the projects that he, w- he was working on were these like really high level science concepts that you need in yeah. an actual laboratory to execute. There, there's no, As far as I'm concerned, there's nothing like Crazy Aunt Lindsay where you literally discover and create things around you with what you have um, versus things you have to go and get that may not be easy to to get. Right. Um, you know, Bunsen burners are not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't have one. In not their house. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not wait around, you know. <laughs> so what does the filming process and everything look like? Is it just you yeah. pretty much on this crew or do you bring in other people? Yeah. Or? So for the first, I don't know what it's going to look like right now. That's kind of shaping up. Okay. Um, I've always been really lucky to have an editor, um, up until this year, it was a fully volunteered team of people. Okay. So the person who would hold the camera was a volunteer. The person who would edit the footage was a volunteer. So far, <laughs> it's been it's been like no more than a three-person team. Um, well, me, a person holding the camera, what functions as a producer and an editor. So that's four people. Okay. Um, and then, as I said, this year, um, I was lucky enough to be able to, to pay an editor uh, because of an Indiegogo campaign that I did uh, the year before. Okay. Um, and this year, uh, you know, we're, st- we're in pre-production right now. The plan is to move into production around um, at the end of May, uh, or excuse me, at the end of April through the end of May. So four weekends trying to execute quite a few episodes. Yeah. How um, many are you planning? 16. Oh, wow. Yeah, 16 episodes. For one month for, of For four days of four filming. Days. Okay. <laughs> it's may- maybe eight days, but we'll see. I know that it's ambitious, but we'll see. Um, How do you go about growing your audience and getting followers? You talked about that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, it was completely organic. Okay. This month is really the first month that I... I'm really committing to strategies to grow an audience. Um, But in the past, it was just putting it like, 
I wasn't even doing keywords or tags on my videos and I would have oh, people wow. call me like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> what in the world are you thinking? Like, you know, you have 10,000 views on this video. You could have 50,000 views on this video if you would just put a tag on it, you know? <laughs> I'm really blessed in that I have a content partnership with Scientific American Magazine. Um, I've gotten featured in Boing Boing. Uh, I'm also, I just got back from Google. I was speaking on a panel, a science communications panel, uh, and I'll be at Harvard in um, in June speaking on, on a panel about creative media and science communications. It seems like whenever I speak on a panel, um, my viewership gets a boost. My yeah. Twitter followers get a boost. So for right now, it's just a lot of like um, panels and things like that and and media outreach, um, developing strong relationships with media partners. Um, but I haven't been very good at any of that. Yeah, the plan is to bring <laughs> STEM to every child and family in the world. Yeah. That's the goal. And with YouTube, you really can do mm -hmm. that because it's so accessible. Yeah. I want to hear about this talk you did at Google. Mm -hmm. So I was on a panel um, about creative media in science communications. Yeah. Um, and so it's uh, it's a so Harvard started this conference, the ComSciCon, uh, the, co the communication science conference, like maybe, I don't know, less than a decade ago. Uh, and it has has regional legs now. So I was at the regional conference for ComSciCon um, hosted at Google. Okay. And it's a room full of PhD candidates <laughs> that want to be science communicators or learn how to communicate their science right before their dissertations. Um, oh. So, uh, and I mean, it's more than that. Like a lot of them are looking are looking ahead to their careers. Maybe they're con not considering academia, which is oftentimes the shortest route um, for for high level academics like that. Most mm -hmm. PhDs are looking to get into um, uh, like a professorship of some kind yeah. and um, the quote unquote best, uh, again, I'm not in this field, so I, I could be saying things that I don't fully know, but the best quote unquote best jobs are often given to those who publish the most work. Mm -hmm. So, um, you have these PhDs who are needing to communicate their science um, quickly um, and hopefully in ways that everyone can understand. The world, or at least the United States, is in a place right now where they're trying to get STEM, like STEM science and STEM literacy is a thing right now. Yeah. Uh, and one of the problems is that most people are not science literate. And... Most PhDs don't really know how to communicate to everyday people uh, yeah. in a form and fashion that they will be able to truly digest. Mm -hmm. So I'm on a personal journey to make STEM digestible. That's that's yeah. what I you know I, I have a communication background. I have a branding and marketing background, um, and then I fall in love with science. Yeah. So my heart is to make science because it's so interesting like there's not one thing that is boring about science but the way it's presented or the way it has classically been presented is really boring and alienating yes so you have the globe or at least the united states that's really sort of committing to this whole idea of stem literacy um and so you have this new crop or this new generation of science phds who are really really interested in making their science digestible to other 
human beings who are not PhDs. So henceforth, ComSciCon. And they asked me to come and talk about creative media. And, yeah. you know, I am I have a children's science video show on yeah. YouTube. Um, and it looks very different than any other science show that has ever happened on the planet before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just talked about, you know, how I went about it, like how it came up. Um, little t- tips and tricks of how I make my science um, beautiful. Um, the big tip is Canva, <laughs> which is a very simple... Um, and free graphic making tool uh, that you can get on your phone or on a, you know, on your computer. Yeah. Um, taking ideas and putting them in graphics that are shareable um, and really nice to look at. Hmm. Um, it's as simple as as simple as that, yeah. as high level as my production process. What are kind of the ideas that people have, these PhD mm-hmm. candidates, for being better able to communicate with the everyday person? Like, are there any ideas in the works? Yeah, it's kind of a case-by-case thing, yeah. Um, A lot of, you know, quite a few of them are like, you know, how do I blog it? How do I share it? Mm -hmm. How do I get it so that people want to see it? How do I pitch to, like, you know, popular mechanics or popular science or, you know, even even Glamour magazine? How do I get them to want to run this article that I've written and I'm like, well, connected to beauty. <laughs> uh, that's a easy way to do that. I don't know, you know. <laughs> um, so just helping them to understand what a market is and helping them to understand where um, audiences are. Um, you know, most people think that they're very smart and that I think everyone is very, very smart. But, you know, I think I read somewhere that the Wall Street Journal was written on an eighth grade reading level. Whereas I read the Wall Street Journal, I'm like, well, I don't know what the hell that word was. I'm going to go look it up. So, um, yeah. So, you know, most people think that they're very smart and they are, but everyone is in different places. Not everyone is financially literate where they can read Wall Street Journal and understand what is actually happening. Um, Just like most people, not most people, but many people will pick up a popular science or specifically scientific American magazine because that's kind of like the Vogue magazine of 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 science yeah um, uh, science literature or science journalism um, most people can't really understand everything that's happening in there and they can grab the concepts but you know how can I present this media where people are um, so that they can have a deeper understanding for this next article or we can just generally raise the the level of understanding for the entire audience. So yeah. just helping people to understand that. Like, you are a PhD. You are going to write a PhD level, <laughs> you know, dissertation or thesis or whatever it is. Lindsay <laughs> is not going to understand that because yeah. I... Barely have a bachelor's degree. (laughs) And I certainly don't know anything about what you're talking about. If it's neural or if it's like tree cycle. I don't know that stuff. Um, And I don't want to have to pursue a degree to just read your dissertation. Um, And most people don't have the time or personal resources to do that. So how can we... How can we bring this? How can you say this so people will understand? The thing that I loved about this particular conference is there were they had like these. Um, I couldn't. Re- I can't remember what the name of it, but it was basically like these sixty-second challenges where all these PhDs would just get in front of the whole group and and give a sixty-second summary of what they do or what they study oh. or what their 
their paper or their dissertation will be about. Yeah. And the rest of the audience is equipped with these two pieces of paper. One of them says awesome and the other one says jargon. Uh. And so if you get to a point where you're too many jargony words, you jargon and then you got to rework it and then you keep going. But it helps like, and these are a room full of PhDs. So if a room full of PhDs don't know what you're talking about, (laughs) then there's no way very true that anybody else is going to understand um so uh, that strategy was something i thought was really interesting but you know i i I can't necessarily speak to the things that might be coming down the pipeline of what they actually have in mind because they're still trying to figure it out too yeah so another thing that i know you have coming up is the ted talk yes so can you talk about that i mean (laughs) i'm not giving a ted talk i am the live stream host (laughs) most people are the host is so important. Um, so yeah, I'll just be, I'll be helping guide people along <laughs> online. Uh, yeah. The experience, I think they're expecting, I don't even know how many, like 100,000 people or a million people. I don't know. They're expecting a lot of people to tune in online. It's a, it's, it's one of the, in my mind, best um, <laughs> TED Talks uh, that happens around the globe. It's specifically the Portland TED Talks, yeah, right? Yeah, TEDxPDX. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. How did you get involved with that? How did you get this gig? Yeah, <laughs> so I um, was working at Wyden, and I mm-hmm. sent out an all-agency um, email about Crazy Aunt Lindsay, um, basically asking for help. And someone, you know, I got to tell you, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of asking for things. I am not good at asking for things all the time, like especially when it's for me, like if it's for someone else or for another group of people, like advocacy is something I'm really passionate about and good at. Yeah. But for me, I mean, again, just going back to the fact that I don't even have tags on my videos. Yeah. I'm not very good at, and most people will say that they have a hard time promoting themselves, asking for things for themselves, talking about themselves. I struggle with the same syndrome. Um, and so I was, I was, um, I was a part of the PR team at Wyden, mm-hmm. and we were at uh, a like a, a retreat. And at the retreat, my team, I was just getting ready to launch a new episode of Crazy Aunt Lindsay, and one of them looked over my shoulder and said, "Oh my God, what's that?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I have a kid show on YouTube." And they were like, "What? You've been working here for like six months, and we, you have a children's show you've been doing for seven years. You got to tell people about it." And I was like, mm. "And they were like, Nope, you're going to send out an all agency." So. Uh, about two days later, I sent out an all agency email. Okay. Like, hey guys, this is what I do. You know, I'd really love your help in in you know this way and this way. One of those ways is you know, can you can I borrow your children for the fourth <laughs> and fifth season? And I got in like, and then you know, a bunch of people were like, oh, that's so cool. I love it. Oh goodness, I'm gonna watch. Blah blah blah. And like maybe a week or two later, I got an email from a young lady who's a good friend of mine. Her name is Jordan. And. Um, she was like, Hey, you know, I was just at a, you know, I'm, I'm on, I'm a volunteer or something like that for TEDx PDX. And we were just in a meeting and, you know, they're doing something very different this year. They are going to have, they're going to live stream. And I think that they've live streamed it in the past, but what's going to be different this year is they want to have a host, you know, that's specifically for the online audience. And, you know, I was watching your videos on YouTube and just knowing you as a person, I just think that you would be so perfect. Would you mind if I if I, you know, fear your hat, your name in the hat of potential uh, hosts. And I said, yeah, I would, you know, I would totally love that. That'd be great. And I didn't think anything would, yeah, I didn't think anything, because I'm like, you know, this is freaking Ted Portland. Like, (laughs) come on, you know. Ted. (laughs) Uh, 
And this is Ted we're talking about, you know. <laughs> and, you know, I'd say about two or three weeks later, I got an email from, from the executive producer, David Ray, who is just, okay. like, kind of amazing uh and he's like hey you know do you want to get coffee and i was like sure and like two or three weeks after that we went and got coffee and he was just like i think you're perfect and i was like what do you mean and he's like i want you to host tedx pdx and i was like uh sure like in my mind i'm like okay something's gonna happen someone else is gonna come along like you know they're gonna have a change they're totally gonna change their mind i'm never gonna hear from these people again and like maybe that was probably like october or november and then, like, I didn't hear from anyone for, like, the rest of the winter. And this one random day, I think in, like, January or, like, the first week of February, I got an email from Dave, and <laughs> David Ray, and he's like, can you be at this studio at this day, uh, at this time for a photo shoot? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, sure. So I went to the photo shoot, oh, wow. and I left the photo shoot, like, okay, like, something's going to happen. Like, this is going to totally end. Like, no one's going to, like... You have to believe in yourself. Girl, three weeks later, I'm on a friggin' billboard in the middle of Portland, and I'm like, okay, now now I get it. I think you'll be giving a TED Talk one day. I have no idea about what. (laughs) (laughs) How to fake it till you make it. (laughs) How to convince the world you know what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting to hear you say that it's difficult for you to also sort of like self-promote because... Mm -hmm. You said you're like an extrovert, and I don't I don't consider myself an extrovert, and it's hard for me. So like for it to be hard for you, mm-hmm. and your show's already so successful. Like how do you get past that? You know, to finally send that email to your whole staff. And I mean, uh, to to be cliche, fake it till you make it. Like yeah. make yourself do it. And like I've been on a personal journey, like my whole life. We're all on personal journeys. Um, toward whatever we're supposed to be. I I believe in God and I just believe that God sends you signs and gives you tasks and missions and visions and all that stuff that you're supposed to that you're supposed to spend your time on this earth to live out and figure out. And I think that you know, I didn't you know, I grew up in a really blessed situation, but you know, I didn't grow up I grew up in a situation where my greatest privilege was access. Mm. We did not have any money whatsoever. Um, But I grew up in a town that was really supportive and I could see possibilities. Okay. A part of that was I had to constantly work through feeling like I wasn't good enough. Um, For the first part of my life, I felt like I needed to earn my place. And because I wasn't a spectacular student, and because I wasn't an amazing athlete, which my sister was, oh. <laughs> I had one sister who was an amazing student and another sister who was an amazing uh. athlete. And I was just kind of this like little roly poly <laughs> little girl that was just kind of like happy to be there, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, all I had to give was this personality. But on the underside, it was a lot of fear and it was a lot of insecurity um, and a lot of uncertainty. And So from really early age, I just had to learn how to work through that and hide Mm -hmm. it. Because I, and it was easy because I am really perceivably confident. Like I seem like a really confident person, but I'm actually, you know, up until not long ago, I was a really insecure person. Um, But because I was insecure, I built things up around me like 
you know, going to college really early or getting internships really early or getting offered a job at MTV Networks really early. So doing things and, you know, masking the, the insecurity of not coming from the best financial situation with pursuing really high salaries as early and as soon as possible, mastering the art of negotiating, um, really understanding how to market oneself, like all of these things. Um, So that's a part of my journey. Mm -hmm. And so insecurity was really the thing that I was masking the whole time with pretending to be really confident um, and pretending to be really decisive. Yeah. As a younger person and then moving into adulthood. And then I got really comfortable with not knowing. I had to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And then out of that came Crazy Aunt Lindsay. Yeah. I would have never in a million years decided to be a freaking babysitter. (laughs) And if I had not become a babysitter, I would have never gone back to my first love of television. I would have never had a product to grow out of that. And I was, I mean, Crazy Aunt Lindsay's been around for seven years, no marketing, no promotion, barely talking about it. Mm -hmm. And somehow I have 100,000 views on YouTube and Google is asking me to come and talk at these conferences, you know. Anyway, so fear and insecurity, but also wanting to mask that is probably how I got good at seeming like I could do it. I could talk about myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, I, well, the point I was going to make was, so during this whole TEDx PDX thing, they have these beautiful collectible books instead of program, like instead of those little programs oh. that you throw away, mm-hmm. they have these books and they're these beautiful, like red canvas or leather bag. I mean, they're just gorgeous and they're collectible. Okay. And one of the things that um, you you do as a, as a person that's participating in TED is you fill out this little questionnaire. And one of the questions is... What's your greatest fear in life? And it took me like three days to think (laughs) about it because I didn't think I had any fears. But the answer I put down was letting fear hold me back because fear had held me back in the past and it had created this person or this personality that was not real. And I just never wanted to create an inauthentic version of myself or live out an inauthentic version of my vision and mission on this planet. Um, So yeah, so fear is just something that I have committed to working past and working through, but it's all, I mean, (laughs) not to be all bizarre about it, but there's this biblical concept of if you resist the devil, the the devil will flee. Mm. So it's kind of like fear is the devil. So if I resist fear, it won't come around. And look, girl. <laughs> look at me now. Look at you. You're on a billboard. Girl, I'm on a billboard. Speaking of Harvard, who the hell even, who the hell do I think I am? <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for talking with me and yeah, sharing all your knowledge and <laughs> stories. And yeah, I'm sure we'll be seeing you around. I, I one, one hopes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks, <Lindsay>. Thank you so much, Emily. <laughs> Wow, so clearly I could have talked to Lindsay for hours, but I hope you enjoyed this peek into her world as the host of a kids science show on YouTube. If you want to check out the show, you can find her YouTube channel if you search for Crazy Aunt Lindsay. You can also find me and other episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes if you search for Extraordinary and my name, Emily Fuller. 
please feel free to listen, share, subscribe, rate, comment, or suggest some other extraordinary people I should talk to. Thanks for listening.